The Production Expert Podcast with Mike Thornton, James Ivey and Julian Rogers. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast number 393. It's October the 28th, 2019. I'm Mike Thornton. I'm James Ivey. And I'm Julian Rogers. Our feature deals this month are from Tegla Audio Manufacture and from Sonox. Tegla are offering the production expert community £200 off the purchase of either their Tube Ramsite machine, the Reverb hardware, or their Shrecraft machine, the multi-mode Verimu hardware tube compressor unit. Sonox are offering a special introductory price on their amazing new Oxford Drumgate plugin. Julian's rather fond of that one. Uh, 25% discount on the Intelligent Gate. No more of the unreliable results you get when using traditional tools to gate drums like chatter, misdetection, choke notes and lost ghost notes. Just clean, spill-free drums. We like that. We also have some great deals from other partners like Avid, Perfect Surround, Synchro Arts and Editors Keys on our deals page. Many of these finish around the riching hour of the 31st of October. I'm only doing that because I'm cold. Nothing to do with, val- <laughs> with nothing to do with um, I only said Valentine's then. That says something, doesn't it? <laughs> nope. You know what I mean. Indeed. <laughs> All Hallows Eve. Indeed. Okay, uh, talking points. Let's move along to these, and these are sponsored by Artoria. Hello, experts and listeners. Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia now have a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called AudioFuse Creative Suites included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Follow the link in the show notes or visit arturia.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use, a must for any professional studio. Okay, first talking point, um, one that's certainly close to my heart, and I suspect all three of us in different ways. Uh, training or experience, does it affect your career prospects? Julian, I'm going to start with you because obviously you have a history in Glasses at the education. <laughs> I don't know what you're laughing at. Uh, well, both, obviously, because this isn't an either or choice, is it? So um, what I've what I've said to lots and lots and lots of students when they've uh, been you know, uh, listening to me because they're duty-bound to do so because I'm their teacher is I'd say, okay, you're doing a course. It's one of the things you should be doing if you're serious about doing what it is you're trying to do. And by the same token, I've met plenty of people who have done something without any training. And by there are there are more sorts of training other than just formal training. We need to say that straight away. I should know I've been trying to train myself today and getting absolutely nowhere because it's very bad to stay in your comfort zone. And if you uh, if you do something uh, in in sound professionally and you're getting paid for it, it doesn't mean you're actually learning anything. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, you're probably learning less and actually forgetting things while you're doing it. It's really important to do something new all of the time. How you 
find and embrace and and explore those new things is totally up to you. But a really valid way is to find somebody who already knows the thing that you want to know and talk to them because there is no point reinventing the wheel. There's, there's no point uh, taking everything from first principles. But actually, first principles are important. Somebody needs to know them. It's just not necessarily you. That was kind of quite a quite a relatively compact answer for me, actually. I could have yeah. still been going for another 25 minutes on that. But <laughs> that's what I'd say is, yeah, both. And particularly, there is an implied superiority, definitely, of people who are in the industry and doing stuff, and they look down on people who are students. And that's just as silly as students thinking that people in industry have nothing that mm. they can learn from. It's a two-way street. James, you took a fairly formal route, if memory serves me right. Yeah, as much as I ever get particularly formal about anything, to be honest. Um, my route into... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to phrase it like this. My route to the interview was conventional and formal. Me and my experience got me the job. Yeah. So... Um, having a having a, some pieces of paper and some letters after your name is all very nice, and and there are plenty of jobs by which having degrees, masters, doctorates, and things like that are important, nigh on essential to getting you the job. The audio industry doesn't tend to be one of those. Um, I know plenty of people who are making very good livings and making some great sounding records who have never set foot in a classroom, I'll go with some of them, in their lives, um, because they were out there doing it. They were out the coalface making records and recording stuff from a very tender age, and the formal education route didn't work for them. Do I trust their ears as much as anyone who ever did a Tonmeister course or anything like that? Damn right I do, because they've made some great-sounding records. Um, these people, of course, are remaining nameless. But um, I think there are there is a bit like Julian said. There are two very distinct viewpoints. the The establishment, as in, the, should we call them the old guard, are very much of the well. You didn't come up through studio system, um, and by that you weren't the T boy, then the runner, then the tape op, then the assistant, then the engineer. That system, unfortunately has pretty much gone. There are still some assistants in Soho and in the bigger sort of um, dubbing suites and things like that, but there aren't many and there are still runners and tape ops and things in the, the few larger commercial facilities that there are left in London. But again, there aren't many. This isn't the, the 70s and 80s anymore where every every other door in Soho was the, the door to a basement studio downstairs where they were making and tracking records all the time. Um, I think the... Both definitely have their place. Uh, it seemed to work okay for me. Um, so you did I, a degree, didn't you? Did a music I, I, degree? I did a... Well, it was a kind of combined music and music tech degree. So, strictly speaking, the title was Music and Instrument Technology. So that was building instruments, recording studios, um, recording acoustics, electronics... Um, a little bit of performance, not that, not that much. Um, synthesis, sampling, all that sort of stuff. So it was a real broad church degree, which, of course, once you got into the second or third year, you could find your your niche and um, chow down a little bit. But yeah, you know, it was very, very broad church to start with, um, and I ended up going the studio route. Funnily enough, 
So, uh, I, I've certainly, I, I, if I had to fall one side or the other, I would say experience. But of course, the challenge is with so many people entering the industry. How do I get experience if I don't have a job? How do I get a job? I think I, I would wouldn't completely agree with you in terms of the runner route. Uh, my experience of the post sector certainly, uh, and that as um, uh, an apprenticeship uh, assessor, um, is that the runner route is still very much the way into uh, post production. So, and that's not just audio, but any of the traditional disciplines in terms of editing. Uh, grading, whatever it is that we do in post-production. Um, the other thing I would say is that in my experience, and, and certainly experience of people that I talk to, my concern is that graduates, um, i.e. people who have done a degree, come in with unrealistic expectations about what they should or could be doing i'm so glad you've said that um because they because they've done a degree because they've studied it they expect to not come in uh, at, at a sort of assistant level they expect to be able to be the dubbing mixer the re-recording mixer the guy in charge and really that isn't going to happen and again from my own experience as a as a an assessor um and also talking to plenty of people who run facilities, um, more often than not, the graduates don't come with the appropriate knowledge. Um, and having done some teaching on graduate courses, now I can't obviously, uh, I can only speak directly to the to the to the establishment, which I'm not going to name, uh, that I got involved with. The course was a lot more about theory uh it was you know analyzing films it's all important stuff but if the practical outworking of that is secondary to the sort of academic uh, study certainly for practitioners that's not going to be very helpful um so and again, what I've seen happen is people have spent three years on a degree, and certainly here in the UK, that could involve spending £27,000 and still going in at the runner level that they could have gone in when they left school. Um, and essentially, yes, they've got some better understanding, hopefully, of the technology, the workflows from, from a bigger picture. The course was suitably structured. But in reality, we've uh, just so many times I found that that the type of knowledge and training and that a lot of graduates certainly um, come with is just not suitable for the workplace. Now that isn't the case with all courses, um, and I would always, if you if you're going for a, a degree, then look at the employment record of that establishment of that course and see how and what sort of jobs people are getting off the back of that course because that will give you a very good indication as to whether that course will actually prepare you to do the job that you're looking to do 
Mm, I'd word of caution about that. Um, yeah, knowing what I do about the way these <laughs> things work, um, universities in particular, and we, we're really focusing on the formal education route, which I think is a pity. We are. I tried to kind of move, kind of. Uh, broaden well, out let's slightly from the less. Well, no, well, no, let's no, come but, back to that in a moment because a, I think it's a good point. But, but got, let's just got a couple of points about this, this though, query, which is um, uh, universities are fantastic at presenting statistics that make <laughs> them look good. They really are, and the one to look out for if you're looking at uh, at uh, employment employment stats is uh, usually the only figure that you'll see, certainly in the UK, is uh, um, uh, percentage of students who are. Uh, in employment or have carried on with education and basically yeah. there's a real upselling to okay so you've done a you, you've done your you, you've done your uh, bachelor's or something have you considered yeah. a master's have you considered a phd if you, you know keeping people in education and that's yes. actually just kicking the can down the road to some extent if you're talking about yeah. employment and, and and movement into industry um Indeed. something that i think is quite interesting and I'm, I'm just thinking this through but okay james you've got a degree in a related subject dan does uh mike you with your electronics training so I, very relevant although uh, yes but i i did an apprenticeship i do not have a degree okay all right uh, but you have training so we're broadening I have training. You have industry-relevant uh, training? Yes. Okay. Um, uh, Russ did something, didn't he? I'm sure he did. he's, he's done something. Um, I'm basically, by my reckoning, um, uh, I'm the only person on the team who hasn't got or done any industry-specific training, which is quite okay. interesting because I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like the academic guy and I'm, yeah, and I'm really not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I do have a degree, but it has nothing to do with tech. So you know that's uh, I mean okay sure I mean I've done the uh, the uh, the the avid train the trainer stuff and things like mm. that but that's that's a, sh- a short course very yeah you know, I mean that's two days you know it's, it's mm. we're not talking about uh, any kind of three year course um, the thing that I think is interesting in this is I mean the, there is very much a two way street and I I do kind of stiffen slightly to hearing people um, in industry. Disregarding uh, disregarding training, particularly formal education, as being irrelevant, and I think that every bit is wrong. As the extremes on the other position, there's I, I'm absolutely I don't accept that. But what I absolutely do accept is that it's very easy to get very frustrated with um, not so much with students. Students will always be. Um, Frustrating because 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 they're young people and young people with, yeah. you know I mean uh, there's that there's that old joke about I'm I'm too old to know everything you know that kind of thing about you know the, all the frustrating th- things that older people find about younger people that's a different conversation and it's mm. way broader than this but um, something that definitely frustrates me is is how uh, the looking at the people who are running and teaching on quite a few courses how self-referential it can become and yes. that i think is positively dangerous and i've come across it a lot um one of the things that really really i don't like in my experience through kind of you know, uk university sector is um I've, I've worked in some of these places and the number of people who've taught in these institutions whose only previous experience was taking the course that they're now teaching on that is ridiculous yeah and and i uh, 
uh, I understand how things can end up in that position, and I, you know, any individual person has nothing but the best intentions, and there's some very capable people. But from a kind of institutionally at a recruitment level, it's kind of going with the devil you know. If you're kind of like, yeah, we know this person, we know they're good, they were the best student in their year, let's have them teaching a little bit of part-time in the next course and that grows over time. And before you know it, they're running the course and all they've ever done yeah. was that course. That's that's infuriating. And there needs to be some interface with the wider world or else you can end up with this very self-referential, unhelpful mm. uh, thing that expresses itself in the kind of things that you find being delivered on these courses. Exactly. And, and, and th there's a few things I want to pick out on here. If you go to any university, well, any university I've been to, what I've come across is things like people spending an awful lot of time uh, doing things like uh, designing stuff in pure data and max, max MSP. Um, creating, you know, uh, algorithmic music and things like this, which are all very well as kind of, you know, but the point is they're going, how actually relevant to industry is that? You know, basically, yeah, I, I, I would question that quite a lot. And the yeah. amount of bespoke, site-specific, um, uh, multi-channel, immersive sound experiments I've seen, mm. which are like, okay, so you've made something that's very interesting and it applies to one rig that you've built and no other and if you talk to these people about things like ambio or atmos or something like that there's very little awareness let alone active research you know in, in some of these things which you know yeah. i'm going with experience that i've found but it's kind of like that's fine but it needs something else as well it's no good on its own i'm not saying it doesn't have value and you need to explore things that haven't been done before but then there needs to be some kind of footing in stuff stuff that happens in the world or else you're not really giving exactly. the best experience to the people who are investing significant amounts of money and time in what yeah. they're doing and I, and i think i think that a lot of those comments are, are at the root of what i was talking about I mean, in terms and certainly in terms of looking at the the people teaching how long was it since they were actually doing the job doing the day job because in some respects especially with the with the acceleration of changing in work work working practices and workflows you know long gone as we've said already are the time when you had assistants and and, and, a, and a huge you know, significant level of crew which in the process actually was an apprenticeship you started on the assistant, you watched the guy, you helped out occasionally, then occasionally you would do something. You know, it's the, I watch, you do, I I, I help, you do, I you do, I help, you know, the whole process of, uh, uh, that's that's really useful training. There is, but there is, you've gone, sorry. If you've got, but if you've got people that are so far out of the industry because they you know they were no longer i i mean the worst case scenario is what you described julian in the sense that they've they've gone from education to teaching the same course but assuming that there's a you know are people who were in the industry who are now teaching i would almost say that if you've not been doing the job for five years it is very difficult unless you're making real efforts to keep up to date and keep across the changing workflows and the changing technologies. Now, well, th th that is covered in education. You've got to, you've got to think of uh, CPD, continue, continuous, continuous professional development. Yeah. Easy for you to say, continuous professional development. And that, for somebody who's doing something rooted in industry, should be industry specific it's it by some people i've i've met it it's it's something of an inconvenience or it's an, or it's an excuse mm. to get the institution that you work for to pay for a jolly yeah. um but 
basically kind of very often in broad-based institutions like, like like universities and colleges and things like that um you have um you've got places that are run by 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 teachers who do deliver all kinds of subjects and they see all their colleagues as teachers not as industry professionals who are teaching mm-hmm. and they're slightly mm-hmm. different things so because yes. of that those people who should be doing who should be spending their cpd doing something specific to industry are being perhaps recommended or even strong armed into doing something about uh, teaching and learning methods or you know, these kind of slightly duller drier but way more applicable things and if you're talking about people who are very busy just with running courses, it's a very admin heavy mm. thing to do. Then being able to disappear off for, for a couple of days off to do something, you know, somewhere else for you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a very limited limited window people have available to do that. And if that's taken away from them doing something that maybe isn't their first choice and maybe isn't so industry specific, maybe you know, there's, there's reasons why these things very often don't happen, um, and mm. willingness isn't necessarily one of them. What I'm going to say though is. I'm extremely suspicious of um, uh, prominent industry, industry relevant, um, you know, kind of like headline uh, tutors or course leaders or something. Just because yeah. while there are some great ones out there, I know of a couple who are kind of really, really engaged in their course. If somebody's really active in the uh, in the industry, they haven't got time to do, to yeah. to engage on that deeper level. So sometimes you have these prospectus friendly. Um, uh, you know, heard names. of names who will be parachuted in to deliver maybe one or two lectures per year, and the rest of the time you're not dealing with those people. So, mm. kind of, it's 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 there's a tension there between kind of mm. like, okay, you may be you may be uh, have lots of uh, industry specific experience. If you do, then you're probably busy in the industry, which means I'm probably going to see a great deal of you. And yeah, yeah, it's it's not quite as simple as as just having people who are engaged in the industry. It's 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 a tricky one. But we're still talking about formal education. Exactly. Let's move away from 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 university because obviously there are other ways of getting training. There are specific bespoke courses. Um, in dedicated, you know, industry uh, spaces. So mm. you've got things like uh, SSR, SAE. Um, what else? What other things were you thinking of? Well, the, this I wrote a piece about this a while ago that I'd forgotten about. But um, what you were saying then just reminded me of it because there are also these uh, short. What I was sort of referring to, and trying not to be disparaging because it's not what I meant at all. Um, uh, experience courses, things that uh, think things like in mix with the masters, where yeah. they absolutely yeah, have someone else. Someone else got it in before yeah, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's a, yeah absolutely. And, but the thing so, is, the point of that is that it's it's short and it's inspirational and it's not necessarily hey, if you do this, then you'll do that. It doesn't work like that. But the value but of, of course, the people who've done them, they carry it with them yeah. for quite a while afterwards, and it kind of ups James. their <laughs> expectation Hello. and their. Yeah, so the the value so of those things James, goes just, beyond what just, they do. So, James, just give us a a, a a a little sort of couple of minutes expansion on that because it still very much lives with you. I mean, we joke about the fact that you you constantly refer to mix with the masters, but I guess you constantly refer to it because you're constantly you know benefiting from the experience you got in that what one week it sounds like uh, a, it sounds like a watershed um uh experience for you just because i i think 
and tell me if I'm right on this, that you think of your kind of audio career as uh, what you did before Mix with the Masters and what you've done since. I mean, it's kind of a dividing line down your, your timeline. Yeah, I, I think you could actually be be right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it's a seven-day audio music recording deep dive festival, if you like. 15 people. Uh, in my case, it happened to be all guys, but that's very much not the not the norm. Um, get to hang out, live with, have breakfast, eat, drink, sleep nearly. Um, and, oh, 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 and there's some studio time in there as well, you know. Um, you're around your your mentor, your your master, for lack of a better word, um, pretty much 24-7, say, apart from the ones where your eyes are closed. And then you're probably thinking of all the things you're going to be asking them the next day because you forgot to ask them the day before. Um, it is it is not a cheap week. Now, if you say, if you put it like this, that you're going to be spending a week at a full board, uh, including your ho- in, full room yeah. and board. Yeah, residential... Um, yeah, and and the food is excellent, and apparently this year they've changed the chef, and the the food has gone to phenomenal level, not just excellent level. Um, and you're in in a world class studio with world class gear, where you get to record um, a top flight band, uh, depending on how how your particular course works, with an industry legend. Now, I think after. Bar tab in the hotel for two nights and my flight and et cetera, et cetera. It came in around about four grand, £4,000 for a week, which is a lot of money. But I I will safely say I learned more in that one week about the thing that I now call my my job and my career, call it what you will. Um, I learned more in that week than I learned on a three-year degree course, which cost me significantly more than that. And I continue to learn off the back of my Mix with the Masters experience because obviously I'm now very lucky that I can call Steve and Al friends. And there were also 14 other people on that course who we are all in fairly regular, fairly irregular communication. Um, But social media is good for that. And if you have a question or if if something comes up, you know, you've got 14 other people to to share it with. Yes, you're, you're probably right. I think it, it was definitely a watershed moment that the whole, right, this is this is how I want to work. I get this this whole kind of, um, this, this analogue-esque workflow. I totally get it. Buying the console, yes. Some probably didn't go quite as far as that to, to, to chase the dream, but it definitely appealed to me and it was something that, um, well, I, I embraced it in a big way, and I would say certainly my my recording and mixing work has benefited a thousandfold from doing the course. Hate to say it, James, but mix with the masters was the cheap bit. Buying the console. <laughs> <laughs> but I came home and said to my wife, "I said I want to do three others. I want to do. I want to do. Obviously, I can't afford to do one of these a year because it's." Certainly, with with little ones these days, it's it's taking the Mickey for me. Say right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off for a week in the south of France and drink beer and eat good food and and drink fine wine. Oh, and by the way, I'll be messing around in studios. Um, it does take the Mickey just a little bit to do that, but there are certainly other courses I would like to do with with different um, with different masters in quotes. Mm. 
But of course, there are other opportunities. For instance, as it happens tomorrow, uh, we're recording on Monday. So tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, I'm spending a day uh, in Liverpool uh, on a Sennheiser um, organized course on ambisonics because I didn't really, yeah, I, as so often we do, we sort of pick up stuff, we read articles, we even read some of the things on our own site occasionally. Uh, <laughs> it does happen but, sometimes. You know, uh, and yes, I have some knowledge, but I thought, no, here is an opportunity. One day, uh, £350, it's well worth it. It's not very far away. It's, it's going to take me three quarters of an hour to drive there. Um, it's too good an opportunity to miss uh, and the other thing i would say in terms of learning um is one of the reasons i like to go to the aes show is because of the seminars and uh academic papers uh that are presented and the seminars that are run with people at the top of their game talking about uh, and explaining what they do and how they do it and the opportunity to listen and to um and to have a conversation uh, again th- these are i mean obviously it took me you know it was expensive to to get to new york and back but in terms of those sessions it was a very cost effective way of getting a lot of knowledge and training and understanding and the again the opportunity to talk to like-minded people as you said James you know quite a bit of what you got was actually just sharing and discussing with the other people on the course and um, and so we we you know with this whole training thing we yes we there's the whole sort of formal degree route then there are the uh, the the sort of more specialist uh, longer to shorter to longer term courses and then we've got these uh, very specialist short-term courses like mixed with the masters um but we've also got other opportunities uh, and i uh, you know university you talk about continuous professional development i consider that to be a key part of of everything that i do you know it's a we never stop learning uh, however that is done and there are lots of opportunities for for free learning as well not everything costs. Okay, yes, Mike, you had to go get to New York. But Correct. if you're a New Yorker, you could have blagged yourself an AES ticket and got yep. in and, and been part of that that whole vibe. Mm. Um, there are plenty of opportunities, certainly at the moment with the new Novation London opening, free courses every day up until the 22nd of December. Uh, there's the Maloko Gear Expo next week, next Thursday. Um, an opportunity to go in. Yes, there... These um, events are sometimes loaded towards sales and towards, you know, sales opportunities. But that doesn't stop the people in in these environments being the ones who you actually want to pick their brains. You want to find yeah. out about X microphone. Yes, they would like to sell it to you, but, you know, they're there to share their enthusiasm, their passion and their knowledge with you. All these opportunities are there. If you have a good local... Um, high-tech music reseller, retailer. I was referred to um, when I was a kid as a weekend warrior. I would turn up on a Saturday and they, I would probably be in most music shops all day. Various people thought I worked in a couple of the shops that I used to hang out in because I was hanging out, trying amps. They knew full well I wasn't going to buy anything, but I was a good enough person to have around that when someone asked a question, if they, you know, I was there to be able to answer it and give a 
give an opinion on something. It wasn't just a sales pitch. It was about having someone around who was um, knowledgeable and interested and engaging in this thing. Go and hang around in uh, high-tech stores. Go and see what's about. Ask questions. The info is out there. It, it doesn't all cost thousands. I'm going to yeah. counter that, actually, with um, you You just said the opposite of what I was going to say, which is, <laughs> you are right, by the way. You know, there is good quality free stuff out there. Of course there is. Um, uh, anything that I've written on production, it's, no. but, <laughs> what I'm, but what I'm going to say, actually, is invest, spend some money. Yes. And yes. spend some money, not because if you spend money, it's better. It should be. And if it's not, something's badly wrong. But because if you've invested, then you've, you you potentially are going to waste something if you don't use it. So you'll actually engage with it and actually complete it. So buy a book. Um, don't watch free YouTube stuff just because there's so much free YouTube stuff that you'll you'll lose interest. You'll go off in another direction and you won't complete. If you've spent money on something, then it'll be sat on the on the on the shelf kind of whispering to you saying, oh, I was a waste of money, wasn't I? You haven't even read me. You know, that kind of thing. It doesn't have to be a book if books aren't your particular thing. Buy an online mm. course or something. But if you invest in it, then you have a duty for the sake of not wasting your money to actually do it. And that, I think, is really, really important. For me, that works. And that's a, a lot of sort of motivation because we all like new shiny things. And if something more more interesting uh, shows itself while you're while you're hitting a bit of a lull in something you're trying to trying to digest. Then you'll, you'll probably you'll probably go there. So you know, lock yourself in to some extent, and that's a good way of doing it. Okay, I, I think we need to move along. Um, so, uh, James, what's the situation with competitions this month? We have one. Shall I tell you more? I think yes. I shall. Um, <laughs> you could win three preamps. You'll actually use. Uh, from our friends at Arturia, worth $299. These preamps include emulations of some of the finest available today. Try the 1973 pre on vocals, the Trider A uh, pre on drums, and the V76 pre on bass, and you'll love their vintage character with modern features and low CPU load. To be in with a chance of winning this competition, follow the link in the podcast notes down there somewhere. Okay, so second talking points um, really comes off the back of two recent articles that we published. Um, and essentially the question is, using consoles as interfaces, is it worth doing? And James, you recently posted an article about using the Tascam Model 24 mixer as a recording interface, which seemed to get a lot of interest. Yes, Um I want to address one particular um, comment that I saw first that said that was referring to um, uh, phantom power across the yes. whole console. I, um, I, I can only think of once once you spend a certain amount of money, and I do mean multiple thousands of pounds, where you get the opportunity to individually bank phantom power on and off. Yeah. across each individual thing. Uh, I've never had that be a problem. Yes, there are a few microphones you should be aware of that don't like phantom power, but these days there aren't that many. So hopefully that's headed that one off. Uh, I am not lax in my reviews. I am, uh, I think, fairly... Um, uh, I get under the hood pretty pretty well. Indeed. Anyway, um, so I, I really like this thing. Um, sonically, I think it's really, really good. But I like the fact with all these kind of... Um, mixer derived interfaces or rather mixers where you then 
tag on a little bit of interface kind of workflow. I like that because a mixer is a very tactile and visual feedbacking thing. That's a terrible phrase, but you know what I mean. You get lots back from a mixer. You can see at a glance what's going on across multiple channels. Whereas the modern interface is quite a button-laden, menu-driven, lots of scrolling down and twisting things and encoders and stuff. It's quite sort of heavy on that front. Certainly the few I've got around here at the moment um, do require quite a lot of um, learning time, upfront learning time before you dive in. Whereas I think if you know how to use a mixer, you're pretty much there for getting a half-decent signal into, well, the Tascam, it could be straight down to its um, SD slot or into mm. your DAW of choice. So I like the instant feedback and the kind of instant um, knowing what you're doing-ness of using one of these kind of mixer-derived audio interfaces. Yeah, because the the other thing, uh, the other uh, part of this was, was picking up off the uh, essential studio gear for starting to record and publish podcasts that we've just put out for a, of around a thousand dollars. And what, when I started doing the research for that, um, it struck me that in fact two of the three interfaces in that article are both actually effectively mixers that have been designed almost specifically for podcasting that also happen to be interfaces. Yeah. So you've got both the brand new um, Rode Podcaster. The uh, Rodecaster, if you will. Yeah, the Rodecaster. <laughs> uh, and then the the apps, the literally hot off the shelf, like I first saw it at, uh, at AES, the, um, the uh, Zoom uh, equivalent, which mm. in many respects, I mean, the price differential is the Zoom, as Zoom stuff so often is, is much cheaper. It's like $399 instead of $700 for the Rodecaster. Um, and the uh, the Zoom, yeah, so you've got these two different products. Um, but essentially, again, it comes back to that tactile. It's everything is in one box. So you can do a podcast without a DAW attached to it, without a computer attached to it. Um, but if you do then attach a computer, then you've got, it becomes an audio interface and you've got lots more flexibility. Uh, and there is, as you say, there is something about that, that sort of tactile, uh, and, and the, the fact that you can see at a stroke, um, maybe it's just me as an old fashioned console person. It's, it's quite bizarre because if I go into a live sound environment, I want a proper console with knobs for everything, i.e. not a a digital assignable console where you've got to bank to the to the appropriate channel um but put me in front of a uh, a daw and i don't want a console but yeah that's probably somewhat going off the subject but it does strike me that that there is this interesting um hybrid shall we say of a console that's also an interface which is seems in many respects to be a relatively recent um sort of track or direction of travel would you think yeah a few companies have um gone a similar esque route whether whether you think of um a a digital mixer as something that maybe be being controlled by an ipad like the mackie hmm. dl32r which i also own um 
it's it you know there's a lot of bang for your buck by getting rid of a lot of the the knobs buttons sliders and switches i mean they can save a lot of cash there and and put that into other things whereas things like the Tascam, it is it is a conventional mixer it is what everyone would think of as an analog mixing platform um whack in a an sd card and you've got a 24 channel digital recorder which i think is pretty damn cool yeah um say the the article sort of gives away the things i did like and things i didn't like about this particular the particular device but i think that the the genre if you like of hardware has has got legs i mean it it's it's something that everyone knows how to drive from a from a recording point of view literally you just go right okay record shall we go crack on record the show jobs are good in I think I think there's definite there's life in that model yet. I don't think I don't think these are gonna be the first and only products of this type we see. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser. No software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Okay, so let's move on to Find of the Week, and these are sponsored by RSPE Audio Solutions. Our friends at RSP Audio carry nearly every great microphone you can think of, from budget to boutique. They've microphones from Sennheiser, Neumann, Earthworks, Shaw, Loughton, Peluso, AKG, Blue, Townsend Labs, Antelope, and many more. Not sure what mic you need? Then RSPE's team can help. Just tell them the work that you do, and they can recommend a few microphones. Plus, if you're in LA, you can book a demo, so you can try them out before you buy. You can shop online or contact the team to find the right mic for you. So, find of the week. Uh, James, let's start with you. Uh, I am I was just trying to scroll through the production expert as was then a Pro Tools expert archive to find when I did an article about guitar cables and to say that it um, sparked a certain amount of controversy or controversy, mm. depending on where you're from, could be an un- understatement of this particular podcast. Uh, however, our, a friend of mine popped over last week and we had a chat and a cup of tea, as is the English way. And he presented me with a very, very lovely Vovox guitar cable in their Sonorous range uh, and said, try this out. Uh, I know you're into things that many people would dismiss as pointless. Uh, and I'm like, okay. So just try it. You'll like it. Now, my cables, guitar cables of choice have always been Monsters, Monster Cable, and they've been lovely. Uh, this blows the monster, the high-end Monster Cable out of the water. It is not a cheap beast at £108 for a 2.8-metre guitar cable, but it sounds glorious. I am trying to work out a way in which I can... Um, let you hear these or hear this cable with a selection of others without getting my face ripped off in a um 
an online heated debate that I really don't want to start a fight over, but these need to be heard, and I think there must be a way of doing it. We'll work something out. But oh, James, you're braver than me. I yeah. know. Seriously, I know. I, 108 quid. I, know. I want it to give me a foot rub for that kind of money. It's like <laughs> seriously. <laughs> but it but it it did make my guitar sound better and i've said many times i'm on the quest for the for the lots of little things that get me nearer mm. to that sonic it's got to be a, it's got to be a pole hasn't it so it's so it's um so it's blind or else yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the yes, di- the no, difficulty though is not is taking won't, it the, won't be the same performance because it's taking can't. the variables out of the equation. Yeah. That's the difficult bit. Um, so are you then saying, you know, you prefer the performance of X over performance of Y? Just it's, one big open G and leave it at that. <laughs> Seriously. It's like <laughs> yeah, you're probably yeah, yeah. right. The, where you where there isn't there can't be that interpretation. Mm. Um no. But yeah, we will find a way of trying to uh to to uh, de- to essentially demonstrate the benefits. <laughs> Uh, of decent of quality cables. cables. Yeah. yeah. There, there has to be a way of doing it that, that's fair and yeah. that won't get me a face full of abuse. Yeah, but seriously, what power cable are you using while you're doing that? Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. Exit stage left. Even. Yes, very quickly. <laughs> Julian, um, what's your final? Mine's, mine's a Dynaudio core series of speakers, a 59 and the 7, because I, I have a pair um, of each. Uh, downstairs, which are being taken away tomorrow, which is quite good because they're taking up a considerable chunk of 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 my, of my place at the moment because they're not small. But I've written uh, quite a, an exhaustive uh, diatribe on these speakers, which should go out sometime in the next week, I think. Yeah, and yeah, it's um yeah, it was it was really interesting. Um, I I liked them more than I expected to, and I didn't expect not to like them. So you know, it's uh, but yeah, um, interesting stuff. Um, and. Uh, it was, yeah, um, like I say, I felt reasonably hostile about these things because they were basically in my house and in the way. And I went, right, come on then, let's have a listen to these things. And when I when I ran them up, I went, actually, that sounds lovely. And uh, I was happy with my speakers and I would, I would have swapped, basically. So that's got to be the ultimate test of those things, hasn't it? What about you, Mike? Yeah. What's yours? Well, mine's a, a movie. Uh, it's a film documentary entitled Making Waves, The Art of Cinematic Sound. I mean, we've so often talked about documentaries like Sound City and, and various others in the past, and this one is has been a long time in the making. We wrote an article uh, two years ago, just over two years ago, when the uh, producers were looking to get some crowdfunding to finish the project, and that was, say, in 2000, September 2017. Um they have finally done it. It is complete, uh, and it's actually going around cinemas now. So in the US, um, it's go it's on sort of general release. Uh, and if you take a look at the uh, Making Waves website, um, then uh, you'll be able to find out where it is. I did some digging because uh, we also found that it's uh, in the UK and. The first uh, showing in the UK is on November the 1st in London, uh, but it is going to other cinemas around the UK as well, and I'm sure it will be rolling out across the world. And there will be um, uh, sort of DVD, Blu-ray versions in due course as well. So great opportunity to uh, hear and to understand much more about the 
cinematic sound process. Lots of both specialists in audio uh, sharing their experiences as well as directors uh, talking about the importance of sound, which has got to be a good thing. So, uh, yeah, check that out. If you can get to see it in a local cinema, then do. But if not, um, keep an eye out for it coming to you in another format. Uh, and, uh, yeah, well worth uh, a take to take a look at that one. So, on that note, uh, we have run out of time. So, it's good night from me. It's good night from me. And it's good night from me. Good night.